Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This is our first episode in a new season where we will be talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like, and here I am borrowing a phrase from the late Tim Keller, what it looks like to practice unconditionally faithful wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today is Dr. Ken McHurd and his lovely wife, Lisa. Ken is the pastor of Christian Formation here at FPC, and you may remember he has been a guest with us before when we were studying the Psalms. I know Ken would say that Lisa is his better half, and the two he's nodding his head, and the two of them together bring much joy and wisdom to our congregation. So, Ken, why don't you start us off by telling us the story of how you and Lisa met? So I'm going to talk about when we first uh, had our uh, first date. We met, I think, maybe a year or so before that. I noticed her uh, as she volunteered at the city mission in Schenectady, and I was impressed by her. One day, I decided to ask her out, and she was uh, surprisingly accepting of that invitation. And we went out and uh, went to Friendly's. Um, during our conversation of friendlies, it became very apparent that she was the one I was going to marry. Okay. Now, if you ask Lisa, she'll tell you that during the conversation, I had a list in my hand, but all the qualities I wanted in a wife. And I asked her questions, and every time she indicated something, I put a check next to it. Seriously? I actually did that. And I, <laughs> I looked at it at the end, and I went, Hmm, she's the one. And so we, um, we, we dated for a short period of time and got, got married that same year. I love that. That makes me laugh. At least I'm wondering, did you know he was doing that at the time? I asked him what he had on his lap at one point, and he showed me. You know, I love a good rubric to help make life decisions. I get it, but I'm sorry, Lisa. His Bible school made him do that. He was following the rules. Yes. He was following the rules, and it worked out well. It worked out excellently. She gave you grace. Yes, she did. And she's still giving me grace. It hasn't stopped. (laughs) Okay, well, since we're talking about Bible school, Lisa, talk to us a little bit about the fact that you've, you've mentioned this to me before, but just the way that you and Ken enjoy conversing over the word, thinking about things, bouncing ideas off one another. Um, sometimes contradicting each other, digging in. Tell us how the two of y'all enjoy studying the Word together. Well, the time that we did it the most was when he was in seminary. And um, he would come home from seminary and he would have learned something new. And we would stay up till two o'clock in the morning arguing theology. Is this before or after children? It was, we had children. Okay. We had older children. At, I mean, you know, eight and 10 year olds. Yeah. And then as time went on, I think what we do now is we both study separately Mm -hmm. and then spend a lot of time in conversation about what we learn in scripture. I go to him a lot if I'm confused or if I think I've been studying something and may have gotten it wrong. Mm -hmm. I ask for his advice. Mm -hmm. And does he have a checklist where he gives you an F for the wrong answer? He can. (laughs) The right answer. I'm not a rule follower, so I don't care if I get an F. Well, just knowing that y'all are used to doing that together makes me anticipate the fun that we're going to have talking about Habakkuk today. But before we get to that, we are going to answer our first things first question. It's the first question we ask on every episode. And so you're going to answer the question. Then you're also going to give a brief bio. I know y'all have introduced yourselves a little bit, but we're going to talk a little bit more about who you are. 
And the question that you're going to answer is, when was the first time you remember going shopping on your own? So give us a little bio about yourselves as individuals and then answer that first things first question. Lisa, you kick us off. Okay, I am a pastor's wife. I enjoy writing and editing. I'm I love so good at it. I love studying God's word. Um, and mostly I just love helping other people have a voice, mm-hmm. people who don't have a voice. I like helping them find their voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time that I remember going shopping by myself, I used to live with my grandparents in the summer in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. And I was probably, you know, seven, eight. And there was a little corner store that had actual penny candy because I'm old enough to remember when penny candy cost a penny. (laughs) And when I got on my grandmother's nerves, she would give me a quarter and let me walk the mile to the store and I would shop for a bag of candy and then come home. That's great. 25 pieces. Yeah. What was your favorite kind? Hmm. I really liked, uh, there used to be these big, long, thin, flat taffies. Mm. I like those. And I like, I like uh, those sugar sticks, those Mm -hmm. sweet and sour Mm -hmm. sugar sticks. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm uh Ken McCurd, and uh, I have two brothers. One is a twin, and the other I've never, I've never met. My twin brother and I are both pastors. He's a pastor in upstate New York, and, and I'm here. I have two living sisters. I enjoy exercising and eating cookies mm-hmm. and not in that order i exercise because i enjoy eating cookies the sixth love language is what i like to say chocolate chip cookies you know yeah mm-hmm. I, we were just i did a bible study just recently and we talked about the trees in heaven mm-hmm. and what would be on the trees and i mm-hmm. really think there's going to be a cookie tree i can't prove it theologically mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. but i'm holding there will come a, day. a cookie tree <laughs> now do you are you a warm and gooey guy or a crispy I'm a cheap, um, cheap cookies are my favorite. Oh. Um, a lot of calories, cheap, okay. delicious. Oh. You're talking about like packaged cookies, like yes. Oreos? Yes. Or like something? a dollar packaged cookies. Yes, but that's where I go to. Okay. So my, <laughs> my first time shopping that I remember was at Montgomery Ward um, Department Store. That was a department store in Alexandria, Virginia. I grew up um, very poor, and we had few choices. Um, but as a young adult, it was the first time I was by myself, and I was buying a couple of pair of pants, and uh, I was so excited that I can choose whatever I wanted, and uh, I was embarrassed that I didn't know my size, and I, cho- I chose pants that I normally would wear anyway. That you normally would wear or wouldn't yeah, wear? D- that you normally-, that normally would wear khakis, you know. At that time, I only wore khakis and blue pants. They were brown, and it took a long time paying them off, but, you know, it was a lot of fun. But you picked them yourself. I picked And did you have to get, like, a nice lady from Montgomery Ward to come over and help you with your size, or did you just eventually <laughs> I arrive just, at it? I arrived at it. I kept trying them on. <laughs> I, I wouldn't ask anybody for help. <laughs> I did it myself. <laughs> well, I couldn't exactly remember if I had money in hand or how the shopping experience went down, but one of my earliest shopping memories I can think of was, I mean, I grew up in the South as if my accent didn't give me away, but I have um, a memory of the Southern Living magazine and it had this really pretty cake on the front that looked like a present. And I was in high school and I saw this present cake and I was like, oh, I want to make that. And so I remember procuring all of these items to make this cake. 
and it was like um, maybe not fondant, but something similar to that, and just like the meringue icing. Like my mom got home from school, and she was a teacher, and she the kitchen is trash. It looks like a snowstorm. I have the present cake, which was impressive. I think somehow I'd skip school. Like the plot thickens. Like this is probably a story I should not record on the air. But anyway, I made this fabulous looking cake legendary mess in the kitchen so that's kind of my first like solo I've got some money to burn on something really special (laughs) to do and I made a cake with it how about that (laughs) okay so what was your mom's response was it a mixture of pride and utter frustration you know I think I was so enamored with the cake and that I had recreated the southern living picturesque cake I don't even remember she was probably irate so anyway I had a great time sorry mom All right, well, my shopping experience mirrors Lisa's in a sense that I, the first thing I remember is riding my bike to a little store. I grew up in a small town and I would ride my bike to the store and purchase candy. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I did that with my mom's knowledge. Sometimes I did it without my mom's knowledge. (laughs) And if I did it without my mom's knowledge, then I always hid my candy under my bed. Uh And I'd like to read a book and pull out my hidden candy. (laughs) You're nodding your head. Under a blanket? Yes. Yeah. What'd you do with the wrappers? Oh, no. I'd probably put them back under the (laughs) (laughs) bed. That's funny. Well, anyway, little little things, big pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And today we are going to talk in some senses about a little thing because the book of Habakkuk is a little book comparatively in the whole of scripture, but it talks about a big thing. And primarily that big thing is what do we do in the face of evil? Who do we understand God to be and how do we understand him to relate to us when it doesn't seem like he's doing what he should be doing? in the midst of all that is going on around us that is evil and broken. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And Ken, would you start by giving us some background? Because it's always important when you're studying a new book of the Bible to understand the historical context, the cultural context. So tell us a little bit about what would help us to know about Habakkuk. Yeah, sure. I'm trying to remember who said this. Uh, I went to a Simeon Trust workshop, and one of our workshop facilitators said this, The Bible is not always about you, Mm -hmm. but it is for you. Mm -hmm. And so Habakkuk is a book that um, doesn't talk a whole lot about us in our circumstances. But what it says about Judah was very real for them. Uh, Habakkuk served um, with um, Jeremiah, Nahum, and Zephaniah. They all prophesied about the same time. And they prophesied to Judah. And Judah... Um, for for Judah at this time, there were two significant issues that became concerns for him. One was the rise of Babylon as a as a nation, as an enemy, a f- um, powerful enemy. The second was this: they lost their religious center, their national life, their identity, uh, and that became an issue for them. It was a time where. There was a lot of international turmoil, military um, encounters, a growing rebellion against the covenant, the demands of the covenant. And so as a nation, the nation was pulling away from their covenantal roots. And Habakkuk struggling with this invading army and a seemingly inactive God in the midst of that. And how do you where do you go with this? And so 
Um, this whole book is a, a dialogue between a prophet and God and working through those issues. Well, I love how you make that point that it's not written about us, per se. Habakkuk's not writing about Amber Barrett, but he is writing about something that has to do with me now. And so what I understand, what I learn from what he's telling those people in that time then translates into what the Lord has to tell me, us, in this time. And so Lisa, speak to that a little bit. So can I say something else about that? Because you reminded me. um, While the circumstances of our lives may be different than Judah's, some of the things we share, uh, we, we see international conflicts. Um, there are horrible things that happen in our lives. And often, sometimes it seems like God is separate from that. What do you do with that? And so I think that's where it's for us in that sense. Yeah, I agree. Lisa, expound on that a little bit more. How do you see the book of Habakkuk relating to where we are now in our culture? Well, I think that um, in any culture, especially one that's post-God, and I think Israel was headed that way, I think that people start to struggle with people. And I mean, I think about the fact that Israel was a divided nation, and uh, Judah was the smallest of that division. And I think about us being politically divided, and I don't think there's been a time in recent history where we've been so divided politically. I also think that Israel was struggling with keeping their faith pure because Mm -hmm. they were being invaded by foreign ideas. Mm -hmm. And we do that too. I mean, I think that it's really hard to keep the world out of the church when we live so much of our time in the world. That's a good point. Yeah, both of those things going on that Habakkuk saw inside his own people and then outside of his people. Mm -hmm. And I think we see the same thing. Mm -hmm. We see um, the things that are broken inside of ourselves, inside of the church, and then we also feel the brokenness that's in the world Mm -hmm. and experience that too. Okay, you kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier, but tell us what is unique about the way this book is written, a little bit about the flow, the themes, and the overall message of the book. So the the book is a dialogue, a, a prophet, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, speaking to God. Um, It's also, it's a lament. One of the, um, I I think it's the beginning of chapter three, I can't remember now, Um, but the title sounds like a psalm. So there's poetic portions in the book. There's hyperbole in the book. There's um, metaphors in the book. Almost every uh, literary device, poetically, you can find in this book. I think the most significant theme of this book is what do you do with significant questions? Um, Is it okay to ask God tough questions? I grew up with what I call a facade of faith. So I, I, um, I had to say often that I'm okay with what's going on because I trust that God's going to make it okay. Mm. So I, I wasn't really encourage to pour out my heart to the Lord like psalmists do. Habakkuk teaches us that we can actually say to God, we notice evil, we're upset with it, this is not fair, and when we don't get the right answer that we want, it's okay, God's not separate from us, he's still going to communicate 
to us. And I love the, I love this book because it doesn't tell us that God answers in the exact way that Habakkuk may may have wanted or immediately the way that I would have wanted, but it was a, it was a dialogue back and forth. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I th- I know Lisa, you are in your literary wheelhouse when we're talking about mm-hmm. themes. So tell us a little bit why we should consider these themes in our current cultural context. Maybe even zoning in on God's sovereignty in the midst of ongoing evil. Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot. One of the, one of the reasons that we need books like Habakkuk. I mean, people avoid the minor prophets like the plague, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> because they're, they just seem so negative and they seem so challenging. But one of the reasons we need the book of Habakkuk is because God chose to give us the book of Habakkuk. And when God chooses to give us something, it's a good gift. And we need to kind of ferret out why he wanted us to have it. God's a sovereign God. And I think sometimes we define God by ourselves and our limitations. I, I grew up in a rich faith um, legacy in the church that I grew up in. And we were always encouraged to be honest with God. We were always encouraged to pour out our hearts to God. Because who else would you pour your heart out to? I mean, even pouring your heart out to the person you love and trust the most can fall flat because they don't have the answers. But God has the answers. And that's why it's so important for us to... Um, follow those themes and to really delve into what God's trying to say to us and how that applies to our everyday. Mm -hmm. And it is just reality. I think, Ken, you mentioned like how we see the evil present in the book Mm -hmm. and we maybe are even upset by it. But so many, I mean, a lot of us, I think everyone sitting at this table can say, oh, we've experienced it Mm. upon ourselves, evil and suffering. We know about that. Yeah. And this just gives us the words to speak it back to the Lord. Yeah. All right, well, let's dig a little bit deeper into what y'all have already mentioned, just that giving voice to doubt or to complaint or to the things that are on your heart that maybe you don't haven't always felt free to express. Because we're going to be using as a supplementary resource with our Bible study a book called Faithful Doubt. And the author of this book unpacks Habakkuk for his readers in such a way that they're given permission and instruction as to how to bring their doubts to God faithfully. So my question is, Ken, and you alluded to this, but talk a little more about it. Have you always believed you were free to take your doubts to God, and why or why not? And in part, I think you said no. So explain that a little bit more. So let me, um, Lisa said that she grew up in the church where she was encouraged to talk about God, talk to God about difficult things. I I was in the church, uh, a wonderful church, um, but the... um, system of thought and the way that we acted in the church, um, we knew all, many of us had questions and doubts, but nobody talked about it. And, and we, we didn't have permission to dialogue. Uh, I think the answer was uh, usually, well, that's a mystery. We don't understand it, but we can trust God. And for a child, that's not, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I think um, Habakkuk gives us when we face doubt is a context. Um, And this is what I mean. Um, There are no direct messianic references to Christ in the book. But there are a couple of passages 
that the only way that they can be uh, fulfilled is through Christ's ministry. And so that's a, that's a, a long-range view. Um, I learned through Habakkuk that the answers that I'm looking for may not necessarily be answered right now, uh, especially the cry for justice. It gives me a view for Christ's coming kingdom, which is wonderful. But the other thing that I think Habakkuk answers for us, it's for me at least, is um, even using a nation that's an, uh, an enemy um, that's opposed to God, that God could use that nation to bring about judgment. I may want God to bring about judgment against that nation or against the evil, but God's view is completely different. And I, and I think sometimes we have to wrestle with that. And it's okay still to have doubt, but to, um, I think Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. So adding to doubt the reality of God's presence and submission to his timing, mm-hmm. I think, um, allows me at least to take doubt to its full extent. I think that's part of why the author of that faithful doubt puts those two words together, because it is the the permission to say there are these things that I don't understand. They don't seem mm-hmm. fair. They don't seem right. I that I have the freedom to express those to God, mm-hmm. and we do love the fact that He includes that the Lord did give us Habakkuk to say He doesn't answer. Habakkuk in frustration or anger or judgment. He just yes. answers him. Yes. He doesn't give him the answer that Habakkuk was expecting. In fact, he <laughs> says, you wouldn't understand it even if I told you, but I'm going to tell you, but you're still not going to get it. Yeah. But he tells him because he knows that even though he doesn't fully get it, I loved what yes. you said, he gets that his presence, the Lord's presence, and there's promise in mm-hmm. it, and he has to wait. But I like that faithful. The faithful says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here with you, Lord. I don't trust myself more than you, but I don't get you. And so I want to ask of you. And those mm-hmm. things in combination are, are um, so helpful, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Amber, oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I keep interrupting. That's all right. So, Amber, um, one of the, we, are a, um, we like things in an instant. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a microwave oven. Almost every time I heat up my dinner, I press, I don't know why I do it, but I press two minutes and 30 seconds, and it never goes to two minutes and 30 seconds. I always stop it and pull it out because that's too long. Um, But when we interact with God, he doesn't have a two minute and 30 second time limit. His is much longer, and we we have to be comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to be comfortable with that. I think also that um, Habakkuk shows us that maybe our attention shouldn't be on the global problem. You know, we tend to focus on big problems because it's almost easier to be mad about the big stuff than it is to be mad about the stuff that we're actually mad about. Mm -hmm. It feels Hmm. not Christian. It feels unfaithful. And I think that maybe Habakkuk encourages us, studying it, encourages us to focus on God's small faithfulnesses. And then those add up and build faith in us. I mean, I think the prayer I pray most often on a regular basis is help my unbelief. Hmm. 
And I think that Habakkuk helps us remember that that's, you know, God gives us the faith we have and we need to depend on him. So Lisa, what you're just saying reminds me of your favorite, um, I think, stone, an Ebenezer stone. Yeah, man, I know that this is the church for me. (laughs) Every time I see that verse, oh, I just love that. The Ebenezer stone over the entrance, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, thus far hath the Lord brought us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the implication is that he's going to bring us further, and I love that. One of the things that was convicting to me as I thought about this, or maybe revealing to me as I have been studying Habakkuk, is do I get do I have these type of intense questions for God? Mm-hmm. And if I don't, because I, I don't think that my problem is that I think that I'm not allowed. Mm-hmm. I do think that I'm allowed. But I, I was wondering if maybe it's because I don't have a big enough picture of God's goodness and his justice and what will be eventually. And mm-hmm. so I see the things that are broken and I just am like, okay. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and almost it's like I'm not given, because Habakkuk's going to God because he's saying, this is who you say you are. This is what you say you'll mm-hmm. do. And this is not. Uh, the, what is happening here is not jiving with who I know you to be yeah. and what you mm-hmm. promised to do. And I'm really upset by it. So for me, I thought, hmm, I wonder if sometimes I'm not upset because my view of God is too small. And that's what God says to a Habakkuk. He says, you know, your picture of who I am is way too small. Well, I've enjoyed just thinking about this book and studying this book. And when Amber told me that y'all were going to use this as the Bible study for this fall, I was like, oh, yes, this is the book that taught me how to pray. So George Robertson was a pastor that was here a few years back. And when he was teaching through the Minor Prophets, we got to this one. And much like you pointed out, Lisa, I would be like, Minor Prophets, that's some weird territory. But when he was going through it, it was just so interesting and intriguing. And so I listened back through some of the old sermons because it was just such a healing time for me. Because like you said, Ken, I grew up kind of in a a worldview, probably partly of my own sin, maybe partly the culture of my church is like, you've got to like... I don't know, all those like bumper sticker things like let go and let God, like God is good all the time. And it didn't give me the space to say like, actually some pretty rotten stuff has happened and I'm mad about it. Mm -hmm. And so when I heard George open up the sermon series with, if you think that the Lord has switched sides and you (laughs) are not on his side anymore or, or something to that effect, that this sermon series is for you. This teaches you how to take your earnest complaint to the Lord, and you don't have to mm-hmm. kick the dog. That was mm-hmm. one of his sayings he used over and over. Or take it out on the kids or the husband or whatever. That you can take your complaint to the Lord. He's the one who can actually do something about it. So I love just hearing right. that. That's um, kind of y'all's meditation through that. This is our honesty before the Lord is the, the path to healing. And um, we might not always see that, this side of you know, eternity, as I think, Ken, you pointed out earlier. So as we've been thinking about and meditating over the book of Habakkuk, what kind of doubts and questions do you find yourself presenting to the Lord most often? And how, maybe even, this is a really personal question, so, but if you want to just delve into, like, how do you see the, the Lord meeting you in that space, too? For me, I think that the Doubts I bring to the Lord every single minute of every single day concern my children. Mm, yeah, You know, I spend so much time frustrated at God because he's not doing what I want him to do when I want him mm. to do it. And I've just had to learn that 
and I mean, Ken taught me this, that God loves our kids more than we ever yeah. could. And part of being a faithful parent is trusting that God has ordained the days of our children and they need to walk through them. Um, I just saw this uh, Facebook um, video of this little sea turtle and he had just hatched and he was making that gigantic trek toward the sea. And, you know, there's all these people videoing him and they want to pick him up and help him get to the sea. But if they do that, he'll die. He needs that trek Mm. to build his strength. And I think that sometimes I don't want my kids to have to trek to build their Mm -hmm. faith. I want them to, I want God to just, you know, pour it on them and everything to be fine. Oh, I mean, that resonates with me right now so much because we just took our oldest to college for his freshman year two days ago and dropped him off. And it's so tempting to want to text him every minute and to give him (laughs) advice and to look on Life360 and see where he is and to, in three days, analyze every choice he's made and be in despair (laughs) that he hasn't made the right one or whatever it would be. And so I I have been praying through that. Just it exposes what do I really think of God? And and even when you say he loves our children more than we do, I've heard that so often, but I've had to say, honestly, Lord, what do I think that means? Mm-hmm. And do I really think that's true? And how, what kind of proof do I have that that's true? And to just ask those questions, but it, I had to have to be honest and say, I don't know that I really think that's true mm-hmm. sometimes because <laughs> I'm sure my emotions sure don't think it's true because I'm worried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think so much of that just shows the posture that we think we know what is good and perfect plan, what the yeah. good and perfect plan is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, gosh, I know that's not the reality just based on my track record. Yeah. But we do trust that God has the good and perfect plan. Yeah, And it is just an act of obedience sometimes to turn that over to him in prayer well and think of the good and perfect plan the most good and the most perfect plan involved jesus's trek to the cross and giving his life so our perspective isn't always the -hmm. best perspective even if it's the nicest and prettiest exactly it changes how i judge god's goodness Mm -hmm. if i've already see what christ did as the absolute proof of that then I can judge my circumstances mm-hmm. in a different in a different way. But when I don't keep that in view, then my circumstances or my child's circumstances are up and down and all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ken? Did you have anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, I wish I would have gone first because <laughs> what Lisa said was absolutely true. I, I, I did say to Lisa, um, God loves our children more. And I forgot, but... I struggle mostly with why does God allow um, the people I love to go through difficult times because I'm in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period in our life, and in some senses, it, it, it still goes on. When you're in ministry, the people you love most can be misunderstood. Um, expectations can be placed on them that are very unfair. And um, for me, there was a dichotomy of joy and regret. Thank you, oh God, for letting me be in ministry. And why are you let allowing this to happen? Because it's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I cry out to God saying, why don't you love my children? Why don't you love my wife? Why don't you show that to me? And I know he does. Um, but I struggle with that mm. still. Mm. I understand that. 
And to hold those two things together and to be both grateful and very much questioning at the same time and to not, sometimes I would want to redefine the hurt. Oh, it's not that bad. Or, oh, they didn't mean that. Or, oh, blah, 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 and whatever. But to allow that to exist and yet not to turn me completely sour and bitter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Not easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what we're beginning to pull out a little bit, not even intentionally, is that allowing yourself or knowing that there is permission, in fact, that God shows us how, invites us to come to him with these types of questions, means that we become more transparent with him. I know Mm -hmm. there's a big push, it feels like culturally, to be transparent, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of good in that, Uh, and it depends on who you want to be transparent with. And I think sometimes we forget that if I truly want to be the most transparent, the most beneficial is to be transparent before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that my transparency isn't necessarily a mark of my spirituality. Look how transparent I am. But it's a conduit through which then I receive what the Lord has to say to me. And then we know that what he has to say to us ultimately is answered in the work of his son. And so you said, Ken, that Habakkuk doesn't explicitly talk about Christ or talk mm-hmm. about Jesus, but yet mm-hmm. it points to him. Yes. So talk to us a little bit then about how we can expect to see the gospel in Habakkuk, how Habakkuk points to the work of Christ. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's an author named Matthew Bates who wrote a book, Why the Gospel?, not what is the gospel, but why. And his argument is this. The reason we have the gospel is we need a king. And Jesus Christ is our king. And so I think um, in Habakkuk, we see uh, three things that point to Christ's reign as king. The first is, we said it, we're invited to go to the king with our questions with our doubts. And Jesus actually said, if you're weary and heavy laden, I want you to come to me, not stay away from me, but come to me. And so that, that speaks of the character of Christ and one of the values of the gospel. I think the second thing is this, um, faith and fact are not always compatible in the world of senses and sight. Those are two different realities. Baker's book, Kenneth Baker wrote that. There are two different realities, faith and fact. Faith is um, the substance of things hoped for, the writer of Hebrews says, and the evidence of things not seen. So there, there's fact to faith, but is not always consistent with what I can sense, I can hear, I can see, I can touch. Um, and um, sight, the things that I can see, um, they're not always telling me the same things um, as what's really going on. Um, that's the, um, the temporal and the eternal aspects of, of life, I think. And then um, I think one author said humans like to measure justice in the short term. And I think Habakkuk forces us to see justice from a larger frame of reference. If God was really just, he would make p- 
people stop doing this. He would, you know, um, the the nation that um, with whom we have conflicts, he would stop that. Oh, well, Lisa mentioned this. Um, I may be of one political ideology. If God was a God of justice, he would get rid of the other camp. That's short-sighted. God's idea of justice is uh, has uh, concerns not only what's going on now, but eternal spiritual matters that are significantly present in our lives, um, but we don't always recognize. And the effects of spiritual realities um, can affect our moods, um, can influence the way that we react to one another, but we often don't really see that. And God's justice deals with that. And I think that's one of the things that we, can, we find in Habakkuk. Kim, when you said that phrase that the author you were referencing, how he titled that, why the gospel, not what is the gospel, and you said because we need a king, Mm-hmm. That's not always the way we answer that question. Oftentimes, because mm-hmm. we need a savior, which right. is true as well. Right. But you can't have a powerful savior if he's not king. Yes. And there is a big part of that in Habakkuk to see the absolute sovereignty of God and how he intends to bring his justice and mercy about through his chosen king, yes. Jesus. Yes. And one thing I was listening to Tim Keller again, one of his sermons, and he made the very interesting point that it, when you're talking long range, just not our immediate salvation yeah. per se, just or it is our immediate salvation, but it's also intertwined with so much else and it extends behind us and in front of us yeah. in ways that we can't fully comprehend. He says, you know, you hadn't thought about the fact that here God uses this wicked nation of Babylon to disperse his people. He's doing something in his own people, right? He's teaching them something in that. And yet he's also preparing the way that when Jesus comes, so many of the folks who are ready to accept him the easiest are those to whom that weren't part of that Jewish community necessarily, Mm -hmm. but lived with those Jews who were dispersed and had been primed and ready to receive Christ. Right. How could you ever comprehend that was going to take place when you see all that was going on in Habakkuk's actual day? And so just to even have a little view of that helps me think there's things that are happening that I just cannot comprehend Mm -hmm. around me and in the future and then, of course, then into eternity. So that's encouraging to me. And Lisa, as you think about Habakkuk and some of the, the gospel um, elements there in that book, what do you anticipate will be encouraging to you? I think that the thing that's most encouraging to me is that whole point that Christ tells us not to worry about tomorrow, to keep our focus on today. And um, like I said at the beginning, you know, we want to focus on the gigantic thing. And like Ken just reiterated, we want to focus on the gigantic thing. We want all the big things fixed. And God gives us the freedom to focus on small things in little ways while he takes care of the big things. And I think that's what Habakkuk teaches me and encourages me. I just, you know, I don't have the bandwidth to fix the big things, but I can focus on the small things and keep my eyes on the sovereign God who I get to call my father and my king. That's so helpful, Lisa. Even as I'm sitting here thinking about where I was, you know, the first time I heard this book preached through maybe a decade ago, 
And when I learned that I could take my honest complaint to the Lord, I remember praying, Lord, I want to be the old me. Take me back to how I was before, (laughs) before everything went sideways. I just want to be back to my old regular self and be normal, like the old me. (laughs) And it's one of those things that I can look back on and say, thank you, Lord, for not taking me back (laughs) to the old me. Like the transformation, Mm -hmm. even in that little process. So it's like, okay, nothing globally happened. And of course, the Bible is not all about Aaron. It's all about Jesus. But I can look in that moment and just see how he used that honest prayer so I could be transformed, but not back to the old me. Like, no, we're moving forward. My, He's mm-hmm. like, my story mm-hmm. of redemption is moving forward. I am about right. the resurrection power. I'm right. about the resurrection life. I'm bringing new life into you. Mm-hmm. We don't go back into the old me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm so thrilled to just look through this book and study it and just revisit it and meditate on that season and that this God's word and just all that he's delivered all of us from. And I think that we can all just rejoice that he is a God who hears our, hears our cries and that Mm -hmm. he is a God who can do something about it. And Mm -hmm. we trust that he is restoring our world even now. Yeah. And it's not that he can do something about it. It's that he's doing something mm-hmm. about it. That's and he the has done. theme yes. of Habakkuk. I mean, mm-hmm. the theme of Habakkuk is, yes. hey, I am at work. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, and that, in a lot of ways, that work has been finished at the cross. But we, prom- we look to the promise of that work to be completed in his return. It's a good word. Absolutely. Well, Ken and Lisa, thank you both for joining us today. And listeners, we hope you'll join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you flee the hot August Augusta heat and get back into your school routine. Next week, Georgie Martinez and Madison Ewers will be joining us to talk about Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.